Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, where we are looking at the digital revolution. And in some ways today, we're living through something of a social revolution, at least social upheaval in this country. Lots of things going on. There's still remarkable opportunity, but there's some pretty basic things we've got to do a better job of to reach our full potential. And our uh, one of our favorite guests here on Cloud Wars Live, Christopher Lockhead is on, and Chris has some pretty interesting perspectives he's pulled together today that he wants to share with everybody. Um, so I'll just tell you in advance, this is not something about business. It's not about technology. It's about something more important than that. It's about all of us and how we need to get through this period uh, of upheaval, unrest, sort of a dark time that we all feel in different ways. How do we try to move forward with that? So Chris, as always, it is a fantastic pleasure to have you here on Cloud Wars Live. You are, I know you said you're coming in hot and uh, that's generally how you come in. So uh, please tell us a little bit about what's on your mind and where this got started and where you think it needs to go. Thank you, brother. It's great to be with you, Bob. I'm, I'm stoked to be back. So obviously the, uh, the events of 2020 around, let's just call it the social unrest and what I would call the acts of terrorism that have occurred uh, throughout the summer. And of course, most recently here in the beginning of January at the Capitol are, um, are incredibly upsetting. And I know this sounds dramatic to many, but if you play this thing out, um, if you think about a dispute or a disagreement, let's say you and I have a disagreement and let's say it gets heated. Well, in the United States, we have a mechanism for that, right? We talk to each other and if we're human beings, we sort it out. That's the best mechanism, just be human with each other. Um, and then if that doesn't work, well, we have the court system and you can sue me and I can sue you and we can, and then judges and juries will decide whether or not uh, I'm right or you're right or we're both partially wrong or however it's gonna play out. And then it, it gets resolved in the court system. Um, or we can punch each other in the face or do even worse. So when you play out sort of discourse, we will either have civil discourse or we will have civil war. And I'm very worried about this because I think in the United States of America today, we have lost the ability to have authentic dialogues. And that is one of the core contributors to what is going on right now. And that sits next to some powerful research from many places, Stanford included, but many others that show that in the last 10 to 15 years or so, there's been a material decline in uh, human empathy. And when we are, don't have empathy for each other, um, then we can't have civil discourse, right? So in, in tw uh, 2009, um, Stanford released a, a study that said that um, people today are less empathetic than se by 75% of the people in 1979. That's a dramatic change. And so we're living at a time where things are very, very different. When you can swipe people away on, twin on Twinder, yeah, on Twinder and, uh, and social media, a drop in empathy seems less, uh, seems very predictable. And this inability to have authentic dialogue 
is uh, a very, very big problem. And I think that those of us who care about our country have to take a stand. I believe that uh, much of the oxygen is being taken up by a small percentage on one side and a small percentage on the other. And I think they're holding the rest of us hostage. Because I think most of us believe that authentic dialogue is powerful. Most of us believe that the discourse, the civil discourse, is powerful. We need the ideas. We need the ideas across the spectrum. Take any topic you want, healthcare. I think it's good that we have people that tilt to the right who argue for certain things around healthcare. And I think it's good that we have people who tilt to the left who argue for certain other things around healthcare. And I think the, the verbal, thoughtful, respectful push and pull makes us better human beings and makes us a stronger democracy. Steel strengthens steel. I don't want to live in a one-party world. We live in a one-party world in California, and I know you don't want me to get political, but I don't like living in a one-party California. I think it's unhealthy for our democracy. So I think it's time to stand up for people who are in what you might call the radical middle to say we are not going to allow a small percent. We all know this is a small percentage. I don't know what the numbers are. Is it 5% on the radical left and 5% on the radical right? Maybe it's 10%. That's that, that, that now we were talking about my inability in math. If it's 10% on either side, Bob, you put it together, 80% of us don't agree with all of this terrorism and violence and yelling. Did I get the math okay? <laughs> that was good, Chris. Well done. And so I think it's time for um, Americans who believe in dialogue, Americans who believe in civil discourse, uh, who believe that we can go and argue it out, who believe what my Nana taught me, which is um, we can disagree agreeably, even if we get mad at each other. I think we shouldn't question each other's patriotism um, or, or each other's motives. We should listen to each other's words and look at each other's actions and have civil debate and discourse. And the degree to which we don't do that um, is the degree to which we are in the state that we are in today. Chris, you've spent about the last, uh, I don't know, five years of your life trying to foster authentic dialogue, the work you've done, your writing. Uh, you know, you've become one of the most influential podcasters in the world. So you're not you're not talking about something that uh, around which you have no experience or that, uh, you know, you're, you're just blowing off steam about something. This is something you have felt profoundly. And I wonder, Chris, would you take a second, just rolling on this a little on the back of your computer, or the front of your computer, the drop in coalition, right? This is something that you've talked before about you, how you connect with people and maybe people from different backgrounds, this or that, but it's, it's uh, it's a way to, instead of laying more concrete around the things that make us different, how do you try to connect in ways that show a common interest, share a common interest, and maybe lead to a 
uh, deeper understanding across what had been, you know, separate camps. Yes. Um, I think we've been sold a bill of goods here that there's an us and a them. It's bullshit. Who's the them? Are there really that many Americans other than the small percentage of maniacs, terrorists, and murderers who want social unrest for some crazy, they're so crazed by some insane ideology? Yes, put that 5% on either side or whatever it is. It's a relatively small number. And look, we've seen this for a long time. Why don't we have peace in the Middle East? I remember in my business career when I first started visiting um, the Middle East, and worked at Mercury Interactive that was founded in Israel and spent a lot of time in Israel and spent time in, in Lebanon and other places, I would ask everybody, what, what is all this unrest about? What is all this murdering about? What is all this killing and war about? And almost to a person, Bob, they said what, what I think we're experiencing here, which is a very small percentage of militant fucks on one side or the other have decided that this is what they're going to do, and they hold the vast majority, the silent majority, what I love to call the radical middle, hostage. And I think most people in America are similar. I think most of us, even if we identify with one party or another, have some ideas that tilt a little left and some ideas that tilt a little right. And some ideas in the middle and, and et cetera, et cetera. Most people are not radical. Most people are not one-sided. Most people are not ignorant. Even if they are biased to one side or another, they're not stupid. They're willing to consider things. You know, there was a point in time when changing our mind was called learning. Today, it's called flip-flopping. I don't believe everything I believed when I was fucking 20. Far from it. A lot of the things I said and did at 20, particularly around social or political issues, seem incredibly stupid to me today. It's called learning. It's called growth. It's called evolving. It's called developing. It's called incremental change. And in some cases, it's called exponential change to the positive. That's good. That's really good. We all want to do that. And we want to push and pull each other's thinking. I, I've been, you know, you mentioned since I started podcasting as a dyslexic person, reading's really a big commitment for me. But when we have authors on the podcast, as we often do, and I'm so, so elated that we have so many wonderful authors, um, I read the fucking books, as, as challenging as it is. I've read more books in the last four years of podcasting than in the last, you know, 25 years, I think. And guess what? When you read books, you learn shit. I'm obsessed with podcasts. My friend Eddie Yoon uh, my collaborator, Eddie Yoon, would, would describe me as a podcast super consumer. Well, why am I obsessed with podcasts? Why do I think they're so great? Well, some of it's entertainment, for sure. I listen to some comedy ones and all that. Some that are, But you know what? You get to listen to the greatest authors that are alive today, the greatest professors, the greatest entrepreneurs, the greatest scientists. You want to know something really cool? One of the things that got lost last year, this is a diversion, but... Um, I forget his name now off the top of my head, but the guy that runs the astronomy um, department at Harvard, Harvard, came out recently 
and has now written a book saying that in 2017, he believes we were absolutely visited by uh, an alien spacecraft who came and checked us out and then took off. Well, he's coming on the podcast. That's fascinating. I'm I'm reading his book right now. It's a stunner. And look, I think a lot of us have been uh, interested in aliens and and life beyond Earth uh, for a lot of our lives. As a little boy, I watched Star Trek. I think all that stuff is fascinating. And it's one thing when some maniac on YouTube uh, in his mother's basement comes out and says, we've been visited by aliens. It's a whole other thing when the guy who runs the department at Harvard comes out and says, we've been visited by aliens, and here's the proof. And so my point is, um, human beings love to learn. Human beings love to relate to each other. The biggest punishment we can give a human being is what? Isolation. Yes. We need each other so much that the biggest torture a human being can suffer is being left alone without other human beings. That's how much we need relationships. We need communication. We need to feel valued by others. We need to feel understood by others. uh, And we need to understand others. But this drop in empathy and this drop in ability to have authentic conversations, to to go past the soundbite and the tweet to, 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 to buy into the bullshit that we've been sold by the hustle porn stars, that it's about being an influencer, that your net, your value as a human being is how many views you get on TikTok. These things pervert people's minds. And, and worse, they take us away from each other. They don't connect us to each other. And the technology, interestingly enough, has the power to do both. And it does amazing things around both. Facebook on one dimension has allowed people around the world to connect powerfully in ways that they never could before. And denying that is just pure stupidity. And at the same time, algorithm-based echo chambers have, have, have perpetuated this myth of us and them and have, and have destroyed authentic dialogue. Chris, uh- you know, there's a lot of people say stuff about, you know, animals have an intuition about things. And it, do you find it interesting that 30 seconds before you started to talk about we were visited by aliens, your, your cat strolled in and wanted to be with you? <laughs> well, first of all, this animal that you see uh, is sitting next to me cuddling up to my arm is actually our dog, Bean. He just looks a lot like a cat. Oh, 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 <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be catist or dogist or something. I just, he, he behaves so much like a dog that I, I just, and, and I'm a dog person. I've never been, I've never been a cat person. And so I just refer to him as our dog bean. I take him for walks. He plays fetch with me. As you can see, he likes to, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know shit about cats, but what I've been told is they're aloof and they don't like to be with you that often. He's currently sitting on my arm. I don't know if you can hear this. Hi, bean. Right up here. Can you hear that? He's purring. Anyway, uh, regardless. Yeah, you know what? It's funny that you say that. I do think animals are very sensitive to to um, the people in their lives. I know that um, as our family has suffered some pretty extraordinary tragedy over the last year and a half or so, that the animals in our lives have uh, provided tremendous, tremendous comfort. And um, so I don't know if that makes me corny, but... Um, I do think they know. I think they're incredibly intuitive. 
think it makes you more human, Chris, more human. And hey, I'm going to take a moment here for a word from our sponsor, BMC. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets, where automation is paramount yet effortless, and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A-game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A-game. Oh, Chris, um, you know, again, you're handful of years here and becoming a podcaster, jumping into art, you've had best-selling books, then you're doing the podcasting, uh, and you've really, you know, blazed some uh, powerful trails there. I-, I think it's interesting, right? Because so much of what you've been describing here is the ability for people to connect and stop using either ideology or in some cases, technology to force barriers between us or to, to use technology as a cudgel to separate. So I think it's it's interesting and it's ironic and it's one of the reasons why it's always a, a trip to talk with you that you feel that technology could be in part the solution to helping to pull some of these things together. That's point one. And the second point, Chris, is when you can come back to the drop-in coalition. Okay. So on the technology and look, I'm biased. I love podcasting. And I loved I was a huge podcast super consumer uh, before I started podcasting. And I love podcasting more now that I've been podcasting for four years. So call me biased. Um, The interesting thing, particularly about the category that you're in and the category that I'm in, which is the dialogue podcast, that is to say, it's not a highly edited, scripted, chopped up into pieces kind of interview. And it's not a you know, narrative like, um, you know, serial or any of these things, which by the way, uh, there's a place for all that stuff. I'm not yeah. shitting on any of that st- stuff far from it. I, I want as much creativity and podcasting and storytelling. Absolutely. But, but you and I, and many others, of course, uh, are in this category of podcast called dialogue podcast, where it's, it's, it's really just a couple of people talking. And, um, the power of that is when, um, you know, take for example, um, we just have, St- we just had Stephen Kotler on the podcast, on my podcast. And he's the author of a book that I think people will remember as one of the most important books of 2020, uh, 2021. And that book is called The Art of Impossible. And he's the New York Times bestselling author of a book that I read years ago called um, The Rise of Superman, where he talks about the sort of exponential um, uh, results that have been produced by more sort of uh, extreme or alternative athletes, X Games athletes, free skiers, skateboarders, surfers, as, as, as distinct from the incremental change that we've seen in um, swimming and, and, and uh, you know, traditional kind of Olympic sports. Anyway, it's a fascinating insight into kind of uh, the human body and human potential. And so his new book takes some of those learnings years years later and 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 blows it wide open the new book is called the art of the impossible well if steven were to go on and pick your tv show even a tv show you might like that that maybe that you watch a good interview show you're going to get six minutes with him eight minutes with him if he goes on one of the morning shows or one of the news magazine type shows or even an interview show that is featuring him even if a hour-long show featured him the reality is in an hour-long show we get about 
35 at best 40 minutes of content and there's all the buffers and bullshit and shit in between and so you back that all out even if he was on an hour-long show that was all about him at best you'd probably get 15 or 20 minutes of him well on a podcast he and i can sit down and we can crack his book open and we can hang out like two buddies having a beer or a coffee and get into it and 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 chase chase uh, zebras down rabbit holes and 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 have fun with it and and diverge all over the place. Anyway, you get my point. So the interesting thing is for those of us who believe in the power of authentic dialogue, it might just be that with the exception of course of sitting down with another human being and having a conversation, which is the thing I highly recommend the most. <laughs> that podcasting uh, other than actually doing it in person might just be the last line of defense for the creation, the sharing, the celebrating and promoting of authentic dialogue that allows us to go deep on topics that we care about. When the guy who discovered the alien visit comes on the podcast, we're going to go deep on it. Mm -hmm. It's I, I can't wait, right? These are fascinating topics. We live in fascinating times. Uh, you just had Bill McDermott on. Well, if Bill McDermott was on some TV news show or, or even interviewed by a a laudable, um, you know, internet uh, magazine or whatever. Again, you wouldn't get very much. Well, you got a lot out of Bill because it was two guys sitting down uh, who respect each other, talking about things that each other consider to be important. And, and, and that human beings fucking learn by talking to each other. <laughs> is that a new thing? Or has that been around for a while? You know, part of me feels completely insane. Like, why do I have to promote dialogue why is this a thing that needs saving what the fuck you know one of the things i i i put in that post that's sort of caught fire is there's a word in the english language and that word is conversationalist and that word has actually bob been replaced in the english dictionary with the word selfie yeah yeah people don't know that word there was a point in time or you wanted to be a good conversationalist. Why? Because would, it would forward you in your career. It would forward you in social situations. You go to a party, and, 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 and after the party, you would hope that some people would say, oh, I just met this guy, Bob Evans. He's a wonderful conversation. We had a great conversation. Uh, as it relates to canoodling with somebody of the same sex or the opposite sex, whoever you want to canoodle with, well, it used to be, we used to call it, you got to have some game. You know, you got to know how to talk to the chicks. You got to, you got to work on your game. <laughs> well, that's conversation, right? We, we, yes, we're attracted to each other physically, but the truth is the minute we start talking, if the person is a good conversationalist, they seem more attractive to us. And most of us, if not all of us have had the experience of meeting somebody male or female, regardless of who you're attracted to that you think, oh, that's a handsome or, uh, you know, beautiful or sexy or whatever person. And then you start talking to them, they turn out to be an ignorant ass, and all of a sudden they don't look that good to you anymore. And you're like, I, I don't know what I that person, I don't know what I saw in them. They look like shit to me now. That happens to human beings. That's the power of conversation, of dialogue. And yet this is out the window. We live in, in a world of tweets. We live, we live in a world of hustle porn assholes telling us to share our story online. Oh, people want to hear our stories, Bob. 
Tell them your story. You need to build your personal brand. Assholes like Gary V tell young entrepreneurs that they need to put out a hundred pieces of content a day. It's insane. They don't. What they don't say is, we need to learn how to communicate. We need to learn how to connect. We need to learn how to listen. We need to learn how to contribute, how to teach, how to learn, how to build relationships through dialogue, conversation, discussion, and yes, even civil discourse. I'd put at the top of that list, Chris, that powerful list you just strung together as a listen, right? And I think some people, you know, you got to have some game. Well, to have the game, you got to know what game you're in. And to understand the game you're in, you have to be able to listen to uh, get a little cue or something from the uh, the person that you're you're trying to have that conversation with. And that's, I think, some is getting lost. And one of the things with social media, right? And I, I guess the face-to-face -face analog of this, you can always tell that sometimes when you're you're trying to have a conversation with somebody, but you can tell all they're doing is watching your lips. They don't hear a effing word you're saying. They're just watching your lips. When they stop, then they jump right in. They haven't heard a, a, a single thing. And too much of social media, I think, gets into that, right? The screamers and ranters and ravers and all the tough guys, you know, in their underpants behind the keyboard. It's, uh, it's, it's dispiriting. Chris, I want to go back to uh, your point about isolation and the thing that goes on there. We're in a, a very challenging situation, of course, not just in the US, around the world with the, the pandemic. And you know, there've been some ups and downs, there's hopefulness and then numbers shift this way and that way, the vaccines are coming out, everybody'd like them to be out faster and all this. But my heart goes out, of course, to all the families and people who've lost folks, but to kids, right? You, we think that isolation is bad for adults. What the heck is happening to kids? Um, for as much as every, just about 99% uh, of kids would say they hate school, they, they're at least with other kids. They're doing those things that humans do, which is goof around and play and learn a little bit and listen and understand what's okay to do and what's not okay to do and where some boundaries are about things like that. And now for the past year, they've been, you know, shut behind doors, taught to be afraid of people, taught that their link to the world is through their screens. And I just find that, um, that to me is the scariest part of what you know the world faces in in 2021 it's not the vaccine or, or i'm sorry it's not the virus it's it's the impact it is having on people who in the formative parts of their lives are learning all this stuff that you've been so eloquently describing and those lessons have been denied to them and uh i sure hope there's something we can do about that yes and i think the isolation of, of uh, digital school or whatever you want to call it um, could have a pro profound long lasting impact. If you're 12 years old today, by way of example, out of that sort of super formative time of social uh, development, um, it's hard not to believe that, um, that it, this could create another big decline in empathy and another big decline in the ability to actually communicate and have dialogue, um, particularly for extroverted kids. I, I have introverted kids in my life who say they actually are uh, getting more value out of school now, and, and that's cool. Um, 
at the same time, the introverted children in my life are, are kind of losing their minds. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, devastating. Um, so, so Chris, you posed early on, uh, in your comments here today, this notion about uh, if we don't have civil discourse and there's still different people around so that the civil thing is going to continue, but it, in the lack of discourse, you know, the opportunity for civil war or the threat of civil war comes up. So dialogue, listening, all this you think is the way out of that, right? We got to find a better way to become the best version of ourselves we can be. Yes. And let's go to a, a tough topic that sits at the course of the American dilemma right now, uh, racism and inequality. Well, the democracy that you and I believe in is the greatest threat to racism. And another uh, legendary threat to racism is dialogue. Because pick somebody who you might feel negative, uh, pick a group that you might feel negatively towards for one reason or another. Well, when you sit down with those people, you have a coffee or a beer or a meal or a discussion, or you try to get some business done, um, all of a sudden, you know, as somebody that spent 25 years traveling the globe, 6 million miles on an airplane, um, as a matter of fact, I don't know my social security number, but I know my American Airlines number. <laughs> and I'll never forget pulling up to LaGuardia. I don't know, it was either Kennedy or LaGuardia. It was definitely New York one day, and I, I don't know where I was going, but I checked in. And of course, I know my American Airlines number by heart. So I tell her, I tell the gal behind the counter um, my number as I'm checking in. She punches it in and she looks at me. And she wasn't, you know, she, I don't know how old she was, but she wasn't a young gal. She didn't look like a new employee. And she looked at me and she said, Oh, Mr. Lockhead you're our biggest customer I've ever met. And I said to her, wow, that makes me kind of want to kill myself. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> but when you have the opportunity to meet and work with and collaborate and build products with and build companies with and sell software to and support software and um, help, help, help customers who use your technology, build their businesses and organizations in, uh, you know, all throughout Latin America and Brazil and Mexico. And then you get on a plane and you're having dinner in, in, in Sweden, eating reindeer. And, and then you're in, you're in, in, in Greece or in Italy. And then you're in Israel and around and around and around all throughout Asia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what you realize is e even people who feel so culturally different, you know, if you think about how different Asian culture can feel to many of us in the West, by way of example. The language is not a Latin-based language, very hard for us to understand. The alphabet is a different, et cetera, et cetera. And customs are different. Social cues are different. So for those of us in the United States, when we meet, and I'm using this as an example, of course, there are other cultures where this is true too, but you meet somebody from Japan or China or somebody somewhere else in Asia, they're about as culturally different as, as they can be. And yet we can connect surprisingly quickly. We can talk about business objectives. We can share ideas around technology. We can talk about the cloud. Um, and then after we do all that and we get a deal done or we do whatever we're doing in business, um, we can go out and have dinner. 
and talk about social topics and political topics and whatever other topics. And, and we can, we can have, uh, if you're, if you're like me, you know, you can drink scotch together after dinner. And, and, and immediately when you do that, what you realize is what connects us. And if you have empathy and if you value dialogue, I know this is going to sound corny. Okay. But we can fall in love with each other. I grew up in a highly multicultural environment. I don't view people who look different or sound different from me as bad. I view them as interesting. And so my point is, um, I think another antidote to racism is dialogue. It's hard to hate somebody when you're sitting there having a beer with them. Right? And here's the other thing that's happened. I grew up in Montreal, Canada. And I was born in the late 60s, so I grew up in the 1970s. And in the late 60s and 1970s in, in uh, Quebec, Canada, Montreal, Canada, at one point there was actually martial law declared, uh, Bob, because, because the, the fighting between the English and French got that bad. A member of parliament was murdered, and uh, Prime, Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau actually um, uh, 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 called for martial law in Montreal. There were tanks in the streets, and they had to calm that terrorist shit down. And it was really, really bad. And so I grew up in an environment where the French and the English were hating each other and killing each other. And the French tried to separate from Canada multiple times. And da, 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 da. It, was a, it was a time of massive political unrest and a lot of hate based on language and culture. Well, guess what's happened in my lifetime in Quebec? And I'll give you a concrete example in my life. I have four um, stepbrothers and sisters. My father remarried a wonderful woman and she had four children and they're wonderful, wonderful, they're wonderful kids when I met them and they're incredible adults today. To a person, they have all ended up with a francophone and their anglophone. And in some cases, they made people with those francophones. Well, you know, um, the children of the, ha oh, and my sister, is married to a French Canadian, my blood sister, if you want to call her that. And uh, my nieces go to a French school. And today, all that's Fonzie. All that's cool. As a matter of fact, it's gone from being, we hate each other, we want to kill each other, to, you know what? This is a great answer. Bilingual kids, and I don't have data to support this, so maybe I'm wrong, but this has just been my experience, are smarter than unilingual kids. Because it, your brain, you know, there are words in French that we don't have in English, and and it's the different way to relate and all that. And and you know, I'm sure you're the same. When you meet a European who speaks five languages, you're like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm such an asshole. I can't. Why can't I speak five languages, right? And 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 oh, by the way, food. Do you like food? Well, guess what? Indian food is awesome. Chinese food is awesome. Sushi is awesome, and on and on. Italian food's my favorite food from anywhere in the world with all due respect to my Scottish heritage. I think Scottish food, hmm, not so much. Italian food, yes. Sushi, yes. Indian food, yes, right? Oh, and beer, and whiskey, and on and on and on and on. And so what happens is when we uh, drop all of the bullshit and we open ourselves up to possibility of other human beings, in some cases, we marry them and make people with them, and we experience their culture. And I hate this fucking word, cultural appropriation. What if I want to sell, if I want to put on a, 
a, a T-shirt celebrating Bob Marley, <laughs> or if I had hair and I wanted to grow dreads, why can't I do that? I'm not insulting. I'm so, this is insanity, right? And so my point is, is, and you can look at uh, Quebec as a great example. What starts as hate in the 60s and 70s, as the cultures come together, fall in love and make people and, 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 and integrate, if you will, their cultures, legendary things happen. And that's happening around the world more now than at ever at any point in time. And I think that's what we need in the United States of America, that mindset. And, and as far as I'm concerned, it starts with the willingness to have authentic, empathetic conversation and dialogue. Couldn't agree with you more, my friend. Couldn't agree with you more. Very well said, Chris. And, uh, so you've got that, uh, you had a post, it's on both LinkedIn and Facebook, stirring up. Yeah, there was a short version of that, and I'm going to publish it now on our website and on Medium. Um, it'll be out in our newsletter um, and so forth. Um, and, and maybe if I... Follow your different? Uh, lockhead.com. Lockhead.com, okay. Yeah, and um, there's also a book I'd like to um, promote if I could. I don't know him. I'm hoping. I'm hoping maybe I can get to know him. But um, there, as a guy who started a business at 18 with no experience, no relationships, no money, and no nothing, um, I could only learn by doing, by seeking out mentors and coaches, and of course by reading. And even though reading's tough for me, I do love it. And one of the books I read early on in my 20s, Bob, was written by an MIT professor, Dr. Peter Senge, and he's still there. And he wrote a book that's a landmark book, you might remember, it's called The Fifth Discipline. <laughs> and the subtitle is something like The Art and Science of the Learning Organization. And if, if it's not that, it's close to that. And it sold zillions of copies. And one of the things that he promotes in there is, if we wanna have a learning organization, we need authentic dialogue. And he underscores something that I think is more important now than ever before. And that is that when many people think about conversation or dialogue, the paradigm in their head, their mindset is a win-lose paradigm. So let's say you and I are gonna talk about um, uh, immigration and you have a point of view and I have a point of view and there's some overlap and there's some disagreement, let's just say. Well, when we get to the disagreement part, there are many people who would be trying to get the other person to agree with them and admit that I'm right and you're wrong. And Senge says that's a broken paradigm. That what we're doing in an authentic dialogue is we're trying to learn about the other. Okay, so tell me why you feel that way, Bob. And if we're truthful with ourselves, and I think I've shared this with you in the past, and I don't know who said it, I forget. Uh, maybe it's not attributed to somebody, but one of the greatest expressions of all time is if you haven't changed your mind lately, how do you know you have one? And one of my favorite sayings that I say to myself all the time is thinking about thinking is the most important kind of thinking. So when somebody's smart, when somebody's thoughtful, when somebody who is a good person um, says something that is the opposite or orthogonal to a belief that you hold, that you, it, on, on instinct, on gut reaction, you think, well, that's wrong. Bob just said something wrong, you know, because our brains do that. 
rather than say, hey, Bob, you're fucking wrong. And let me tell you why you're full of shit. We say, okay, well, tell me why you feel that way. Just let me listen. Look at what we have in our country right now. You know, millions of people, I don't know what the number is, but some meaningful percentage of Republicans right now believe there was some level of, if not, not full corruption, uh, certainly hanky-panky in the election. Okay, great. I look at that and go, that could be true. I look at that and go, hmm, after uh, Bush Gore, how much investigation did we do of our election system? Hmm. So you know what? If that many Americans think this is a problem, and if I can uh, look at this and go all the way back to Bush Gore and go, you know, that was a fucked up election too. And did we really dig deep after that election to make sure our elections were secure and safe and, and accurate and so forth? I, I, I'm not sure we did. So why wouldn't we dig into that? Do you know right now, the Republican governor of Maryland, uh, this hasn't gotten much coverage given everything going on, but he said, hey, redistricting is important and is, 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 um, is, 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 is an invitation for corruption, right? Because on one hand, we have to look at the census data and look at where people are moving and where populations are, and, and we have to be super thoughtful about how we do districting. That makes sense, right? But at the same time, one party might try to rig the districting in their favor. So you know what he just did? He set a bipartisan group up of, with three Republicans, three Democrats, and three independents. And they're going to analyze the current districting in uh, Maryland. And they're going to come up with a proposal for the next redistricting. And they're going to do it in a transparent way. And they're going to publish their results. And they're going to tell people why we're taking this district and morphing it a little or whatever it is they're going to go do, right? Well, maybe, maybe we need to be thoughtful and do that with elections. Maybe we need to be thoughtful and do that with immigration. Maybe we need to be thoughtful and go do that with um, economic policy, trade policy, tax policy, whatever it is. Um, we need transparency. We need empathy. And we need authentic dialogue amongst smart, committed people. Even if they disagree, they can push and pull and look at it and come to conclusions. That's what we need to fucking do. And I don't know why that's so hard for us to embrace. I don't know why we have to be talking about this. I don't know why this is not self-evident. I thought it was self-evident 300 years ago when this country was founded. But apparently some people haven't got it. <laughs> apparently some people haven't read our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, and the thoughts of our founding fathers in this regard. Yeah. Yeah, Chris, it's a... It's something we need to revisit. It's something we need to take to heart. And um, thank you for uh, for raising some very, very important, very personal, wide-ranging, uh, significant issues. Right? That, uh, as you said, uh, they seem obvious. They seem evident. But I, as you and I have talked about before, I think that so often in the business world, but here in our, our personal lives, things that seem to be very obvious they aren't uh and it's easy somebody says well that's obvious well then why hasn't somebody done it before it's always obvious after somebody else gets into it so i i thank you my friend for kicking open this this door and giving people lots of things to think about here of how to uh 
you know, strive toward that more perfect union uh, with conversationalism and dialogue at the center. Thank you, brother. Chris, could you also please uh, introduce us here to your friend? I think you mentioned the name, but he's been such a, a, a star on the show. This is uh, this is Bean. Hi, Bean. And uh, he's a rescue. And my uh, brother-in-law, Michael, and my uh, 12-year-old niece, uh, Quinlan, found him and his sisters and brothers in a bush, uh, newly born and dying, uh, not too far from their house. Uh, we don't know if they were abandoned or just born in, you know, outside or whatever it is but they found them they had to have emergency medical care and all the things that has to happen when teeny weeny little kittens are you know in 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 peril he was the run to the litter he was the one that was expected not to live and um and so um my um niece and sister-in-law foster kittens this is what they do it's one of the things they do and then they adopt them out and they're part of a program and this and that and the other. So, so after Bean and his uh, brothers and sisters were stabilized, um, um, they were fostering them. And uh, Carrie and I fell in love with this little guy. And, and so now he's five months old. And as you can tell, he's my little buddy. And he likes to hang out all the time and play all the time and fight all the time and cuddle all the time and um, wake me up in the middle of the night because he wants to cuddle or play. Uh, and... <laughs> And the reason we call him a dog is because he, you know, yes. he started, well, first of all, I don't know how many cats are this affectionate and this one connected. Secondarily, he started playing fetch. We didn't teach him fetch. I was sitting on the couch one day. He has these teeny weeny little toy mousies, we call them, you know, and he comes over, he jumps up on the couch. He's always getting excited because we're talking about him. Um, can you hear that? Can you hear the, the purring? Yeah, he's he's rattling away. He's rattling away. He purrs like he purrs so much. I, I think uh, if we could hook him up to the electrical grid, I think we could secure <laughs> global warming. I mean, he could power two thirds of California, maybe. Oh, look at him! He's showing himself here. He's yeah, like, now he's showing that. off. How cute I did he that. Well, and uh, and you know, I don't know who's rescuing who, Bob. You know, we right. we've suffered a tremendous amount of pain and suffering and and anger and grief in the last um, year and a half or so in our family. And uh, as an animal lover, um, as I know you are, um, you know how comforting animals could be. And so he just showed up at the right time. And anyway, with the playing fetch, he takes the mousey. I'm sitting on the couch. First time he does it, take, com comes over with the mousey, jumps up on the couch and spits it out on my, on my lap, just like a dog would with a, you know, a, a, a stick or something. So I'm like, uh, Bean, do you want me, you want to play? So I throw it. He goes and gets it. Well, fucking hey, Bob, we we play fetch. There are days we play fetch for two hours, an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening. And uh, and so I figure, well, if you're a dog, I'm going to treat you like a dog. <laughs> so we got a harness and a leash. I take him on walks to the beach. I take him to the car. I take him in the car. Take him around with me. I just, I just treat him like a dog. Hey, now in the spirit of conversationalism, you got to teach that boy to bark. <laughs> <laughs> No, that would be, I wonder how we could do that. I need to Google that. See if there's a YouTube video on how to teach your cat to bark like a dog. Because how to teach your dog to bark. My dog. A dog. Yes, exactly. Chris, um, uh, lockhead on different. You are different, sir. You, you raise different subjects. They're important. They're powerful. And you bring being out to reinforce the power of connection. That's a, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing.
thank you. He's gotten uh, uh, very accustomed to being in the studio with me. And most of the time he's like this, but I will tell you, we had this super big ding dong author on Ryan Holiday, multi New York Times bestseller. He's got a great new book out on the Stoics that is a stunner. He's, he's an amazing guy. I, I highly, highly recommend his work. Anyway, so he's on and, you know, he's a big damn deal and I got to be on my A game and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> well, well, Beans in the studio and plus or minus midway through our conversation, Bean decides it's party time <laughs> and he's blasting around in here. And, he's, and, and my producer, Jason, said to me, um, hey, Chris, you know, at about the 27 minute mark or whatever, there's all this banging and crap. What, what, what was going on? <laughs> <laughs> he did a great job trying to edit the bean noise out of the podcast. Yes. No, <laughs> no, no. Bean's work. part of the <clears throat> part of the cosmic universe here. You know, he's there. He, he, he will not be edited. Chris, that's great. Thanks a million, my friend. Good to see you. Good, good to, to see, see you. you. Love you, brother. All Keep right. up the good work. Congratulations on the growth of the podcast. You really are uh, just uh, nailing it. Uh, the McDermott episode lately and just your regular guests and, um, how long, how long has Cloud Wars been around now? A uh, little over two years, Chris. And our, our good friend, Bill Cozell, who's with us here on mute. Uh, Bill Cozell has produced every one of our approximately 225 episodes. Wow. Well, congratulations to both of you. And, you know, you, you are a shining example of, of exactly what we're talking about. Not so much in the political or social domain, but in, uh, certainly in the business and technology and obviously cloud domain and um I, I, let me let me turn it around on you if i could before we wrap sure um, how would you describe your career as a podcaster as distinct from your career as a as a journalist and ultimately as a senior editor and big ding dong in in media publications in the tech industry how would you compare and contrast the two um uh Chris, two things, you know, if I'd sort of uh, early and then later stage, the early thing was, you know, I, I've told you I have uh, five brothers and a sister. <clears throat> and like being I was not quite the run of the litter, but I was six out of seven. <clears throat> All my brothers, including my younger brother, very quickly, were much bigger than I was. So I had to learn a little bit of the gift of gab <clears throat> to go along, get along, survive. Otherwise, you're going to get beat up. Oh, I got beat up anyway, but they were a little less severe because, you know, I could charm some of the boys. So I, I've always, uh, you know, enjoyed that side of it. But the podcast stuff, Chris, it was my daughter, Ella, who a few years ago was Cloud Wars site was getting up and a lot of this stuff. She said, Dad, you should do a podcast. And I said, oh, I have no idea how to do that. I know what they are. And so uh, she sort of did the whole plan and the strategy and put that forward. So, again, this was... Uh, something that I would never have thought of. But uh, Ella sort of made it possible, the inspiration then when I saw you doing it, I said, well, I can't do it like Chris does, but maybe I can do my own little uh, oh, slice of said, things If here. that moron can do this, oh, I that's true. Can. That's true. But in the spirit of, you know, this discussion we've had here today, I didn't want to call you a moron publicly, you know, uh, not at all, or privately. But no, Chris, it's, so I think exactly all the things you said where you can have somebody on, talk about stuff, work your way through it, and Chris, one of the interesting things is, you know, when I, I, a different guest, somebody comes on, they say, well, what do you want to talk about? And I said, I'm the, I'm the uh, Greek chorus here. You are the star of the show. 
what you want to talk about matters. And the more interested you are in it, the more interested the audience is going to be. And I can adapt and sort of do the Woody Allen Zelig thing, you know, uh, back toward it. So it is, I think there's a little bit of an art. It's not so much about being brilliant in what I say, but it's how do you try to make the other person, the guest, feel fully comfortable to um, show everybody why that person has been brought on the show because he or she has something really interesting to say. And it's just, it's just a relaxing thing, right? You know, we get sort of the bam, 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 bam things through the regular workday of deadlines, got to do this, get this done. You know, the bluntness of text messages with single letters representing words and all that. And it's nice to be able to have a, you know, full sort of run out conversation with people. And if you come on and say, well, I really want to talk about these five things and you get to two or three of them, but they were really done in a deep and interesting and engaging, authentic way, that's a, that's a pretty good win. It's not that you missed three topics, it's that you killed it with these two. So it, it's, it's a great um, alternative medium in some way that I, I think can, can do stuff that no other medium can do, right? And, you know, the TV didn't kill radio, this, that podcast is, is probably, uh, like you have said, it's the art of conversation. And I, I just think it's, uh, it, it's been a, it's been a blast. And to have people like you on it, who are our master conversationalists, may I say, he's got game, uh, you know, that it's, uh, it's a treat. It is a treat. Well, thank you. And can I tell you a little secret? Sure. I'm probably, I'm probably not allowed to say this, but um, so um, a year ago, February, um, an entrepreneur named Steve Osler, who's a podcaster, very, very successful podcaster and entrepreneur, uh, passionate about podcasting, said, you know, our category, our industry has exploded. And when you're this big and this important and this cool and this interesting, as my buddy uh, um, Monroe, who's a uh, Monroe Jones, who's a um, Grammy award winning uh, music producer, says he says that pod, it, uh, podcasts are to the 2020s what rock and roll was to the 1960s. Wow. Wow. And so I, I agree with Monroe. And so Steve decides, you know what? We need a magazine. <laughs> so a year ago, February, he launches Podcast Magazine. And uh, so the, the one-year anniversary issue comes out uh, in February. And by the way, if you want to subscribe, you can, and you can get a free lifetime subscription. Uh, and by the way, I'm not involved with this business, so I'm just promoting it because I love it. Uh, podcastmagazine.com slash, uh, slash free. Anyway, Steve sent me a note and said, Hey, listen, we're doing our uh, one year anniversary issue and we'd really love to do a profile on you. Could we do that? And oh, I was wow. Very, very honored. And as you might expect when profiling a podcaster, one of the questions you might ask is what are the, what are your favorite podcasts? And so um, that issue will come out very soon. And uh, Cloud Wars Live is one of my favorite podcasts, and that'll hopefully make it into Podcast Magazine in a few weeks. Oh, man. Well, God love you, Chris. Jeez. That, that is high praise. That's high praise. Thank you, my friend. Well, you've done Thank a legendary job, Bob, really. And I, I, I applaud anybody doing dialogue podcasts. And yours are interesting. I love the regular guests. And then I love how you supplement it with other people from out the industry. And um, it's good to kick back and just um, just listen. And I mean, that's the other thing that I love. There was no medium before that human beings like eavesdropping. We're not supposed <laughs> to do it. You know, you're sitting in a diner. Somebody's ha back when you could sit in a diner. Yeah. And, 
and, and somebody's talking about something really interesting. Uh, and, and matter of fact, a guy, I have a guy in my life. Do we have time for a story? Sure. I have a guy in my life who has become uh, a, a dear friend um, because he eavesdropped on me. I was sitting in an airport. I had given a speech the night before I was in Vegas and um, I sat down next to this guy and we're waiting for the plane and, and, and this and that. And um, uh, he asked me what I do. I asked him what he does. We were sharing back and forth. And um, anyway, um, it turns out I meet this guy who is a dean at DeVry University. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what happens is I get on the plane. I don't know. He, he was sitting behind me. I didn't know he was there. And um, as I'm getting off the plane, oh, and the other thing is with the Wi-Fi, he Googles me. He starts reading some of the shit. He listens to, to some <laughs> snippets of some podcasts and shit. So he does this homework uh, or, 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 or what you might call friendly stalking <laughs> on the plane. Uh -huh. So we get off the plane and he comes up to me and he says, uh, you're Christopher Lockhead, right? And I said, yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and he introduces himself. I don't know if he'd want me to share his name, but he introduces himself and he says, I'm a dean at uh, DeVry University. And I, uh, he said, I love what you're doing and this and that and the other. And he said, um, we're looking for a commencement speaker. And so I became a DeVry commencement speaker because this gentleman, A, eavesdropped and B, had the courage to come forward. So anyway, long story longer, human beings like to eavesdrop, but we're not really supposed to. And one of the, one of the guilty pleasures, if you, if you will, of podcasting, particularly with a dialogue podcast, is we have this wonderful experience of, of sitting next to somebody <laughs> in a restaurant or a bar or an airport and just, uh -huh. oh, oh yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> Did he just say that? Yeah. Well, Chris, I, I, I love that. Good Good for uh, good for him for coming up and asking you about that. And if you, uh, my mom had a real eye for uh, not well-known movies, but that were really really well done. You know, quite a small movies usually. Gene Hackman, The Conversation. Yes, I remember that movie. That oh, uh, so not every bit of eavesdropping has the happy ending. Uh, yeah, like well, <laughs> you and your. Dean from DeVry. So, uh, <laughs> so it's a, but so great movie, great movie, lots of fun. Chris, you're the best. Um, thank you. Love you, brother. All very wonderful stuff. See it. You folks, thanks to all of you for being with us. He is a special man. We love to have him. And he will, one of the reasons Lockhead on Different is different is that Christopher talks about things that the rest of us often don't. And uh, he does it in a way that's human and powerful and special. So thanks for being with us here on Cloud Wars Live, folks. We'll see you next time. <laughs>